Welcome to Music and the Church with Sarah Bariza, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician, and today I am joined by Sarah McDonald in the UK and David Scott, who is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We are all over the globe today, and we're going to be talking about a new series of choral music out of Selah Publishing. I'm going to let Sarah and David introduce themselves. Right, I'm Sarah McDonald, and I am a Canadian living in the UK, and I am Director of Music at Selwyn College, Cambridge, and I'm Director of the Girl Choristers at Ely Cathedral. Uh, and some of you who are church musicians might know my name because I am the person who writes the UK report in the American Organist magazine most of the time. I'm David Scott, president of Sela Publishing Company and founder of the company uh, over 30 years ago. We've uh, been in Pittsburgh now 16 years. We're in the Hudson Valley before that on the East Coast. I'm also part-time of uh, the organist choir master at Trinity Cathedral in Pittsburgh, just to keep my hand in making music. So just this past month in January of 2020, uh, Selah released a new series of choral music that Sarah McDonald edited. And this is a really recent project for Sela And David, will you tell us a little bit about where this came from? Sure. Well, I've always uh, been interested in uh, making sure that we had women in our catalog. We've uh, had some from the very beginning. Our very first choral releases had pieces by women, and our very first uh, organ releases also had that. We've published quite a few uh, hymn texts by women and hymn tunes as well through our many uh, supplements and individual author collections. So uh, it's been a concern of mine, and I've talked with people about it over the years too, because we don't get a lot of submissions from women. And I've, I remember talking with a professor of composition who, who couldn't remember the last women that had gone through their graduate program. And it's not, they, they aren't going out looking for people, people come find them. And, and it seems to be, mostly men. So it, that creates a difficulty in itself. The, um, so for us, I've always been concerned about that. I've, I've been concerned about it in my own programming. Uh, I've added quite a few women composers to the uh, cathedral's library over the years that I've been there. And uh, so there's some serendipity involved because last uh, August I had a choral director at a school talked to me about creating a series of uh, anthems that would be from their college. And so I gave that some thought and we talked about it and uh, we'll be going through with that. We haven't done anything yet, but just the following week, uh, Sarah was in Pittsburgh with her choir from Selwyn College performing. And I have uh, somewhat of a connection with her through one of my sopranos who sang for me for uh, over a decade, probably 13, 14 years and had gone to Selwyn for a master's program. So I, I, I went partly to hear this wonderful choir, but also to see Christiana again and catch up with her. And in the programming, the concert that Sarah had uh, included, Sarah, was it all women? In no, it's about, about 50, 50 or 60 Okay, there, there were quite a few women and names that I looked up. I remember bookmarking a couple on my uh, 
uh, online browser on my phone as I was going through the program. And uh, throughout the program, it, it occurred to me that this was a conductor, and I, and I had seen her programming and a number of her uh, videos and other things going on, what she had done. It seemed to me that this was someone who had a lot of connections and was very good at searching out women composers. And it, it occurred to me during that, um, during that concert, that this, that Sarah would be a, probably a really good contact to make some inroads into that. And then uh, we, I'm not sure exactly what happened next uh, through email or, and I remember talking with you after, I think I mentioned something about that too at that point. But um, since that time, in fact, this is the first time I've, uh, we've talked in person. It's been emails back and forth uh, between the U S and England and, and Canada when you've been home visiting and all that ever since. But um, very quickly, this was just last September, very quickly we pulled together um, a really good selection of anthems that's well-rounded, um, all types of voicings and for many different types of use of the year. So we, we move very quickly in getting this pulled together. And part of it is because Sarah is, is not only an excellent conductor, but also a very efficient person getting things done so um, we we got things moving and and within three months we had uh, everything in print and going out in January. Sarah will you tell us about some of the pieces that you chose and the people that you were connected with to make this happen? Absolutely well I I um, was keen to the the whole doing the whole thing was really exciting and I'd never really thought about it. Um, I obviously had various bits and pieces of my own music which I, you know because I write fairly regularly um, for my choirs because we you know I, I, I have have to conduct five or six services a week choral services so um, there's lots of opportunity for, for music and, and um, I happen to be through various contacts I happen to be quite good friends with a number of pretty eminent names um, including um, Cecilia McDowell is one of you know she I count her as a as a good friend and she um somebody that I've worked with in the UK over over several years and I thought that putting together the first um release would make sense to have a couple of big names to kind of legitimize it if you see what I mean rather than just some of my friends or former students or whatever who are much younger and not very well known so I asked Cecilia, and she's obviously a um, house composer with Oxford University Press, but she had some stuff that she'd written before. Um, so we've got a mass setting by her, which is fantastic and, and really beautiful and really not too hard because um, you sort of think, oh, she's an eminent living composer. It must be really difficult, but it really isn't because she writes really well for, you know, normal human singers. Um, and my, uh, I also happen to know Stephanie Martin, who's a very well-established Canadian composer. She's just, you know, spent many years in my hometown. I just happened to know her. So I got some stuff from her. But the really fun one was Eleanor Daly, of course, who's one of the biggest names uh, in, you know, in choral music. Um, and I basically, I'd never met her. I've done some of her music, but I just sent her a note off the cuff. You know, we're both musicians. We're both female and crucially we're both Canadian it's quite a small subset of people and of course a lot of my friends who still live in Canada know her and um so I got an email address she wrote back within like six hours 
And I said, I don't have any money to commission, but do you have anything like lying on top of your piano? And she sent me about five pieces of music and said, oh yeah, this, I remember doing this, it was all right, but I never got it published. And she's, she's really prolific. And so I was just like, you know, kind of, I was, will admit I was both gobsmacked. I was completely surprised, but it, you know, talk about some names to say, this is actually a really important series um, with those massive names. And then there were some other pieces. There's one of my favorite pieces in the first release is by a, a friend of mine who is actually a BBC Radio 3 producer. She's, she's not a composer with a capital C and it's her setting of um, My Eyes Ship for Beauty Pine. And it is absolutely- oh, it's beautiful. beautiful. Absolutely stunning, yeah. We did it yesterday at Ely actually, and one of, um, or on Monday, and um, one of the younger girls said, oh, I love this one, you know, and that's the right sort of attitude. So, so yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind of how the, the first batch of composed of things came about. And um, it's interesting, I've actually had, I mean, I, I've, we're now dealing with the next release, which has got a lot of Christmas music in it. And again, still, I'm mostly doing it by asking friends. Um, but I have had uh, one person email me out of the blue and suggest something and uh, you know, say, I, I, would you be interested in this? And um, the fact that, that um, the American Organist um, article came out just, I guess this week it will have been sent out. Um, I wonder whether we might get some more people actually going, oh, it's okay, I will submit to see what people think. So, mm -hmm. I yeah. just got an email yesterday with someone asking how they could submit some things for the series. So it's something you'll be getting shortly, Sarah. Excellent. That's exciting. Very exciting. I think one of the things is that, I don't know, I mean, I, I never needed a female role model. I never needed women to approve of what I was doing. But I think there are some women who do. And maybe having a woman as the person to go to rather than a company or, you know, that, that presumably they all assume is headed by a man or something, therefore, or it's anonymous or whatever. But this is actually a name. And, you know, I've fairly easy to find social media profile and, and stuff. And so I, maybe, maybe that will encourage people to come forward. And certainly there's at least one piece that's coming out in the next batch from a composer who it's a fantastic setting of, oh, quam gloriosum for All Saints Day. And it's a student composer from the States who, who would never have thought to send it out for publication. Her conductor had said, you should send this. And she didn't, um, you know, oh, no, no, no. She's rather reticent about it. So I actually I emailed her and said, I like this piece. Can I have it? And she was like, Wow, that's exciting. So, you know. It's interesting how you have this mix of you have some really big name people, but you also have people who are just, um, you know, not capital C composers. That's not the main thing that they do. And people who are students who are at the beginning of their career, um, a career that includes composition. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, especially the thing about writing for the church uh, is that actually, fundamentally, the stuff has to be practical. And I know you guys have rehearsal time. We don't, you know, we do rehearsal. We rehearse for even song on 15 minutes. That's it. And so I can't be doing with these, you know, incredibly esoteric, difficult, complicated things. And it's not that I don't sometimes do esoteric and difficult things, but actually any music that any composer, you know, male or female submits to me, if it's going to take more than, you know, an hour and a half maximum to teach to the trebles and I can put it together in 15 minutes. I can't, if I can't put it together in 15 minutes, it's simply not going to appear on a music list because we just don't have that kind of rehearsal time. And so I, you know, I think we, what I'm looking for is, is 
people who are practical musicians who who know how to write for voices. Um, oh, we have talked about organ music as well, although I'm, that's that's still sitting in my inbox. Sorry, David, I'll deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but you know, I we need stuff that's actually doable, that's practical, but that's also I want stuff that's grammatical. I'm I'm a bit of a stickler for prepared suspensions, you know that kind of thing. Um, so I, I do, you know, it's got to be somebody who's got some some literacy as a musician, um, but it's also got to be someone who understands a bit about the human voice and how it works and what rehearsal time is like, and obviously music that serves the words and the words need to serve serve the liturgy, and those are the fundamental things. And it's probably you know there's probably a lot of it that is not exactly groundbreaking, but in a sense. You don't want groundbreaking in the liturgy. Um, it, you know, you don't want the rite of spring in church because it, it's an incredibly important work, but actually it doesn't do the right thing. It's okay in a concert hall, but not, not in the context of choral even song or whatever. So, This whole series seems like it, it, uh, it fits really well within that ethos of this is church music. And like I'm thinking of it... Um, as a church music director and I, and David, I bet for you also as an organist choir master, um, looking, looking at this kind of music and just thinking really pra- practically, is this, is this going to work? Is this going to fit? Is this something I can program for a particular day with a particular set of scripture readings? You know, it, it's, it's very functional in a way, but also beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. That's. And Sarah and I are on the same page too, I think with the, uh, for us, the text, really comes first it has to be a uh, both good poetry and and sound uh, theology Um, there's no need for uh, dreck and and poor poetry Um, she was talking about the the grammar of music but it's also the grammar and flow of text that is very important so that, uh, I think you, it, when you're starting with that, it helps a great deal because that gives you the opportunity to provide something that's very beautiful and makes sense within worship. So it, uh, I, I think that's a very strong part of, of this series so far is that it's really good text with uh, good settings and and it not only practical that we we get a lot of submissions in the course of a year and sometimes you'll have a four-part anthem that for four measures is double divisi which is completely uh not useful for anyone and as sarah said it, it makes it hard to rehearse those kind of things you just uh, don't ha- either don't have the forces or it makes it really then unsingable for a for a choir that can easily handle uh, SATB but doesn't have the forces to do divisi and all that sort of thing. I think we should go next um, at least what we have next is something about publishing women composers and thinking about that we, we talked a little bit about that but is there more to say there? Um, well certainly my um, I think historically uh, there's been a great neglect obviously and you know there's huge amounts of stuff um from convents in italy 
you know, wonderful polyphony that if it was published, it was published anonymously because women weren't allowed to publish. But a lot of it is just, you know, sitting in a convent archive somewhere. It's just as good as Palestrina and nobody knows about it. So, um, and that obviously happened all the way through until, uh, until the early 20th century, I expect. And certainly Fanny Mendelssohn had to publish under her, you know, her brother's name and Clara Schumann had to publish under, you know, etc. Like that, it's actually Jane Austen, had to publish under a pseudonym and um and so did george Eliot. you know all so it's not just composers but writers and everything because publishing is not seen as a seemly thing for for women to do or it was just not allowed or whatever um and that's probably um it's probably reflected in in church music certainly for the past 150 years or whatever and even now you'll find, I mean, if you go back to some of the most important, say, anthologies um, of church music, say, for example, the, the Tudor Anthem book, I mean, yeah, it's early music, but actually there could be plenty of early, women, you know, polyphony by women in it, but there isn't anything. Or the European sacred music anthology of OUP, there aren't any women, you know, and that's just because only <clears throat> men wrote music. So I think there is a publishing neglect um, which it would be nice to help make up for a little bit. Um, but I think the other thing is that, uh, that, that women, as I say, are sometimes reticent to submit to a nameless corporation or they wait and wait and wait and they polish it up and polish it up until it's absolutely perfect. Whereas that some, certainly in my experience with young composers in the UK, uh, I get a lot of stuff from, uh, from young male composers, which who, if, if they'd actually sat down and spent another hour polishing up, that then it would have been a better piece. And perhaps the women tend, I mean, of course, this is all on a spectrum, but perhaps the, the women maybe wait too long and then they don't send it. And if the men waited longer than some of the things they wouldn't send, because they go straight in the recycling bin anyway. So, <laughs> um, and there's a lot, of, a lot of women who self-publish. And I've noticed that as a couple of women that I've approached about this series who are actually perfectly happy with what they're doing themselves. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's completely fine, but there's obviously uh, something to be said for having somebody else do the dis distribution for you and the work for you and all that sort of stuff. Um, but um, there's one I, I have my eye on who I haven't approached yet, but I'm worried that the answer I'm going to get from her is no, I'm very happy with what I do. Whereas the men perhaps are, are more likely to try and get somebody else to, you know, put their name as well. I don't know. It is important, I think, that that as choral directors, we program a variety of composers. Uh, you can't get stuck in a period. There are churches that do that. I, I, I just myself could not do that as a music program. It's important, I think, that we have a wide variety. And if you're talking about variety, you would also then have to talk about male and female composers. Really, it th that is part of the the um, variety we bring to the programming. I, one, one thing I always go back to it, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg once was asked, uh, how, when do you think it'll be in, there'll be enough women on the Supreme court? And her answer is when it's nine. And uh, for us, it, we have a tagline music for the church and in brackets by women under the Sarah McDonald choral series um, in the hopes that in, in a couple of years, we just take off those brackets because it's music for the church. It just happens to be by women. And, uh, and I think that 
we'll, we will get to that point in the future. We're just not at that now. Speaking as a church musician, I, you know, go through the, the file boxes. I look at all the anthems that I have and I realized I could buy um, anthems by women composers at the rate that I currently am for the next 20 or 30 years. And I would still have more music by men composers. Um, and so this year I'm undertaking what I'm calling the women composers challenge. And I'm trying to, I'm, and su- successfully so far, I know it's only February, but I'm programming a piece by a woman in every service, either chorally or on the organ. And I'm only buying music by women composers this year. Not because I don't think that there is other good music out there. Of course, there's fantastic other music out there, but because I, I see such a huge almost laughable imbalance in the library that I have access to. It's, um, it's kind of ridiculous. And I, you know, you know, Sarah, Sarah, you write music. I don't particularly write music. So it's not like I can um, just generate music to kind of like fill in, in those spaces. I am looking, looking to purchase things. So a choral series like this is actually really nice for me because I can just go to it and, and not just have to kind of scan names and be like, Oh, is that a woman? Is that not a woman? I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I can just look at it and and uh, kind of have an edited collection, of, uh, well, an actually excellent edited curated collection um, to kind of start that process of figuring out, oh, what am I going to buy with my budget this year? It's interesting because I, really, I mean, I, the both of my choir libraries are, you know, probably 85, 90% male composers and that's fine. I mean, you know, actually the there's a huge proportion of the music that the the, 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 what we might call the liturgical canon, the Western liturgical canon, which is by men. And some of it is damn good, you know, and actually, oh, it is. Uh, you know, I'm, I, we had a funny, um, we had a funny competition on classic FM radio uh, earlier this year to say who were the five best composers ever or something. And the, they, they went out of their way to be gender diverse. And I'm totally up for that. But I'm afraid when it came down to the final two that people have been voting for, and they were Clara Schumann and J.S. Bach, I mean, really, it just wasn't a competition. It's just like, you know. That's not fair. Like so, um, I, I have also made it my challenge uh, since, since this time last year to make sure that every single service has a piece, at least one piece by a woman in it. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm programming um, six services a week. So that has, it That's has incredible. Been- and occasionally I really have to have resort to writing my own psalm chant, just quickly bunging that in there because, you know, in the end, there's, there's also a kind of, there is a, a kind of received repertoire that is actually important, especially for my girls, my younger choristers to have sung, you know, it would be inappropriate for me to send them out into the world after five years of a British cathedral choristership, not having sung Stanford and B flat, you know, actually, that is a that is really important. It'd be like somebody doing a degree in music and never having listened to the B minor mass just because it was by a dead white man. Actually, that's that's not you know I'm not doing this at the expense of of what is received excellence. Um, I am, on the other hand, occasionally choosing not to do. Um, well, in fact, I remember I, I explained this to my organ scholars at one point. I did a, a service earlier this term, which was all Renaissance polyphony. So Palestrina, Guerrero, Victoria, and of course they're all men and that's fine. And I specifically wanted, I mean, and there's a lot of lovely uh, polyphony by um, uh, Raffaella Aliotti in particular, but I specifically wanted this piece of, of um, 
uh, Guerrero. So we did it. And I said in the Organ Scholars list, I said, right, the voluntary on this date needs to be by a woman. And I said, I said, you know, I don't, it needs to be on the chamber organ. So it's got to be a piece of early music. You could do Elizabeth de Jacquet de la Guerra, whatever, which is, she's the, the kind of well-known one. I said, or you could find something else because quite frankly, I expect you'll find something if you do a bit, a little bit of digging in, and here's some sources. There's an IMSLP page, for example, um, where it's, it may be a mediocre, anonymous 19th century woman, but quite frankly, that's not going to be any less good or, or better than the voluntary number 73 in B flat major by Maurice Green, which is also a mediocre, you know, I mean, and so if you're going to play voluntary number 73 by, you know, or whatever unnamed male English composer from the 18th century, uh, you might as well play unnamed female composer from the 19th century. And that then got some balance. Um, so I don't mind substituting, uh, substituting for the kind of stuff that is a, is a bit rubbish, and it, but it's got through just because they were men. But I don't want to substitute in replacement for the stuff that is actually important, that especially in an educational situation like I'm in, that the kids actually learn. Mm -hmm. So can we come back to the series that was just uh, just published in January and talk a little bit about the pieces there and then look forward to what is coming out in May or what, what might be happening there? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, um, we, have, we have a mass by Cecilia McDowell. Uh, we have a, that's for SATV and organ. And we have a set of evening canticles for upper voices and organ by Sarah Catley. And we have various anthems, some of which are sort of, there's a couple of hymn anthems by Eleanor Daly and one by me, um, and some, some other anthems, there's some communion texts and some general texts and that sort of thing. There's also um, a couple of sets of responses and uh, one set of five introits uh, for the church, various times of the church year by me, which are published together. So it's a very good way to get five pieces for the price of one. Um, and they are short and there's, they're for SATB with Divisi, um, although it's not complicated Divisi, it's just filling in notes in the chord mostly. Um, and there are, they're pretty general, there's some that, you, that are specific, I mean, there's one that I specifically wrote for the dedication of Selwyn Chapel, so it's a text about the dedication, but actually you could do it at any time of year. Um, there's one that I wrote for uh, we had a big science festival at the cathedral, at Ely Cathedral last year, and uh, we needed an intro for our opening service for the big science festival. So that's about the stars. And um, one for Easter and another couple that are just sort of general texts. Um, and uh, so that's uh, obviously a, a good way to get your female composer fix over right away at the beginning of the service. <laughs> The uh, an interesting part of the Cecile McDowell's uh, mass setting it it's a traditional mass with the uh, in, in some ways, but has the uh, Pentecost the lingua ignis um, as a narrative motet movement within there, which is really stunning, and I I think makes it especially appropriate for Pentecost. But the other movements can easily be used throughout the year if you're doing sung mass settings. We have uh, some, the Canticles uh, by Sarah Catley, which you mentioned. The Stephanie Martin piece, I, I, I think is a, a really substantial piece, um, but not a lot of choirs will be able to do it. It's a double chorus piece, SATB double chorus, and you have to have a, a very uh, 
good choir to be able to do that. But on the other hand, we have the, as you mentioned, we have uh, two part trouble, the responses. Um, and then the, we have a mag and nunk by Sarah Catley, which is two part. Um, and we're also going to be publishing the SATV version of that uh, soon. Uh, Sarah herself has a Gaelic blessing that's SAB. So it's something that gives uh, smaller choirs a chance to, to uh, do something like that. At my position, I, I have no problem programming two-part, three-part, four-part pieces, partly because it gives us the opportunity, if, it, if we can get it through it a lot quicker, it gives us a chance to work on some of the more difficult pieces we have in our repertoire coming up. So I, I, I think that's a very important thing that we have available to us. I've done several of the pieces already, um, Eleanor Daly's and Sarah's. And in fact, this, uh, I didn't tell you, Sarah, I, we did your Sing My Soul this past Sunday. And one of the priests uh, at the staff meeting on Tuesday said to me, I really like that piece. And oh. we have to do that again. Um, and, he, he, and he wanted to do it as a hymn as well. So that'll be coming up. We'll be putting that in the rotation as a hymn because that'll go in one of our upcoming supplements as a hymn as well. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's wide ranging. We have, uh, Sarah mentioned that the next set of is not that it's entirely focused on Christmas, but it's the time when we publish our Christmas type pieces. So, uh, there are a couple of going, uh, coming out there, um, two, a two part piece, um, we have, and, uh, some SATB. We, we don't have all the contracts, set up so we can't exactly give you the entire listing of what's coming but uh, there are a couple more from Sarah and Eleanor Daly and uh, we have uh, Katie and Maggie Burke twins uh, who are both composers uh, that, that might be a, a put that in the world Guinness Book of World Records for the uh, <laughs> first concurrent publishing of twin composers that maybe um, so that's it to me it's very exciting because within a couple of years uh in four or five years we'll have well over a hundred anthems I suspect in this series, which is a substantial core of anthems and it'll be for all different voicings all different uh seasons and times of the church year and for all different types of choirs so it uh I think we'll be able to make significant inroads into the acceptance of uh, and use of of women composers in our liturgies. It's very exciting. Thanks to David Scopp and Sarah McDonald for this conversation. You can find show notes at musicandthechurch.com, where you can also find lots of resources for church staff and musicians. I'm Sarah Breza. Thanks for listening. <laughs>